Welcome to refreshing, energizing business talk. This is Think Tank, conversations in a digital world, presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Get ready to hear from industry executives and thought leaders on the best strategies and technologies to drive your business forward in times of uncertainty and accelerate success. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Think Tank, conversations in the digital world with new perspectives from SAP Strategic Partners on business, IT, and innovation presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. We have a really, really, really important topic for you today. Let me read you a quote I found at ncsu.edu. This will set us up and then I'll tell you a little bit more about what our esteemed panelists will be discussing. So here's the quote. There have been and will continue to be many hard lessons learned in the world of supply chain management from COVID-19. Just let that sink in for a second. There's not an industry anywhere that hasn't been impacted, and supply chain is what everybody's talking about. One of those lessons is a sharp reminder that, and I've got three words for you, agility, adaptability, and alignment will win the day. This is called the AAA supply chains concept. It was proposed in 2004 by Stanford's How H-A-U Lee, L-E. His insights ring true in the present day environment of COVID-19. So there's our opening buzz quote. Let me give you a little more background before we have our panelists introduce themselves. The COVID-19 virus continues to wreak havoc on business operations all over the world, impacting companies, organizations of all sizes. We know this. Most are working in what they consider a manual situation room mode, okay? They're trying to match demand to available supply through tight spend controls bounded by the CFO-defined cash flow and liquidity management mandates, meaning they're keeping a really close watch on what in the world's going on. Increasingly organizing their actions in an overlapping multi-stage approach, many companies are modeling recovery scenarios We're all hoping that they will recover and they're creating alternate supply chain action plans and playbooks to make sure they have the right options for recovery. And once they get into recovery, they want to get into the ramping up stage to get back to thriving. So we have three experts here today. We have from PwC, Jacob Cunningham and Ashish Punjabi. Very happy to welcome them. And SAP's own Richard Howells who is also the sponsor of one of our Game Changer shows, Industry 4.0. And we're going to ask them about how organizations are navigating supply chain resiliency. That's really the reigning word everybody wants. How do you keep it agile? How do you keep it fluid? How do you keep it resilient to what's going on? And we're going to ask them for some insights on new strategies for achieving Agile Supply Chain. So welcome again, and a shout out to Brad Borkin and Susan Walker at SAP, the sponsors of this series. So let's go around the table. Jacob Cunningham, we're so happy to have you here today. And would you please take about two minutes, tell everybody who you are, what you do, and Jacob, give us a little insight into what is your passion for this topic. Jacob, welcome. Hello, yes. Uh, so thank you very much for having me. Um, again, my name is Jacob Cunningham, and I'm a technology consultant with PwC's SAP Supply Chain Practice. So going all the way back to the very beginning of my career, um, I worked as a process engineer for a couple of years, and then I went to pursue my MBA. And it was while I was working on my MBA that I got introduced to SAP through an internship. Now, imagine this. It's the second day of the internship, and my supervisor hands me this folder of SAP system notes and plops it on my desk. And it's thicker than like two volumes of the internal revenue tax code. It dumps it on my desk and says, can you make a training guide out of this? And so at the time, I didn't know what SAP was. I didn't even know how to spell SAP. But I soon found out that there was this module called production planning or PP. Uh, There was materials management or MM. And these helped to manage the supply chain and really helped to um, help companies sort of manage the supply chain. And it's really, I grew from that internship to work in APO or advanced planning and optimization. And now I work in IBP or integrated business planning which is the area where I lead at PwC. So when clients ask me to introduce myself, I like to tell them that my superpower is leveraging my 20 years of digital supply chain transformation experience to tackle their toughest challenges. So thank you for having me. (laughs) Jacob, that is probably one of the most 
engaging bio introductions we've ever had in all my years of radio. So thank you very much. Uh, I went to work for SAP 10 years ago, and I didn't know how to spell it either at the time. I was brought in as a contractor, and it took a while to figure out it was SAP. Exactly. So welcome, and thank you so much, and we're going to leverage your expertise on the topic. So thank you very much. Now let's move around the table to your colleague at PwC, Ashish Punjabi. Ashish, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to also tell the world who you are, what you do, and what's your engagement or passion for supply chain agility. Ashish, welcome. Sure. Thank you so much, Bonnie, and thanks so much to the rest of the panelists. Uh, again, my story starts almost 25 years back now, and uh, my first job actually was on an oil rig, which had nothing to do with supply chain. It was purely, you know, getting oil out of the ground and and i did like five years there but in the process because supply chain is so ingrained in almost anything that is product centric there was always this procurement there was always this installation there was an element of making things happen so supply chain started becoming a part of my daily routine even though i was in the oil rigs and just like jacob mentioned uh i started thinking about further education came and did my mba in supply chain and from there on, again, got my first job where uh, the client way back in 2001 was implementing warehouse management. Same same kind of experience. You know, I went through some training myself. I remember uh, it was San Francisco and I was like, what is, I mean, again, coming from oil rigs, technology was a foreign concept for me, if you may, right? So, so it kind of helped me understand how things piece together in the background, because what you see in the front is a seamless execution of work. But what happens in the background is what I went through in the training. And then gradually, as from warehouse management to logistics to procurement to order management, the whole plan makes those deliver return cycle. That if I figured it over the many years of supply chain work I've done. Obviously, SAP has always been the backbone for my work because working in technology, SAP was the technology I was working with primarily. And I would say the last six to seven years, a lot of importance and a lot of attention is being given to digitization of information, of processes. And that is where the whole connected supply chain, the more resilient supply chain, if you may, so that you could react or be more proactive, if you may, to some of the decisions you're making has taken a precedence. So a lot more thought leadership, a lot more thinking, a lot more experimentation is being done in that space. And that's where my passion lies. I want to make sure every challenge that's thrown at us, we look at it from a different lens. No more traditional ways of looking at things. It's always how do we think, do things differently? How do we use the technology to enable whatever the new processes may be? So that's where I'm kind of most of my time these days goes is trying to figure out innovative and new ways of making things happen in a, in a very digital environment, if you may. Thank you, Ashish. Pleasure to have you as well. Also an interesting background. And now we're going to move around to our third panelist, no stranger to SAP Radio, Richard Howells. Richard, welcome. And I'm, I, you know what I always say when you're on a radio show, Richard, in case there were, let's say today, 2.75 people around the world who already don't know you. Why don't you talk to them? Tell them what you do and why in the world are you here on Think Tank today, Richard? This is not your normal venue. So talk to us. Welcome, Richard. Well, thanks for having me, Bonnie, and thanks for inviting me. Um, my name's Richard Howells. I work for SAP in the supply chain space. I've had probably over 30 years of experience. Um, and my passion for the topic, as you asked, is it literally and figuratively puts food on the table uh, for, for me, my family. And I've worked in the supply chain area straight out of college, starting by developing solutions for the software, uh, for the for the industry then implementing it around Europe mostly, and for the last four or five years specifically doing a lot of thought leadership and writing and identifying the future trends and opportunities for supply chain. So it's been a 30-year journey. Richard, thank you. Brief and to the point. That's our Richard. Richard, a question for you just quickly. Did you agree with Mr. Lee or Professor Lee's uh, assessment about the AAA supply chain that it should be those three I mentioned, agility, adaptability, and alignment? What do you think? Agree or disagree with that? Richard, I'll go around the table and ask. Richard? Yeah, I agree with with the three topics, and they all, I to me, fall under the concept of, of, of uh, resiliency. Uh, we're hearing a lot about resilient supply chains and they have to be agile, they have to be adaptive and they have to 
be aligned uh, across companies, across departments within a company and across the global supply chain. Thank you. Let's go around. Jacob Cunningham, you want to unmute? There you go, Jacob. What do you think? You agree with those three A's, the AAA concept? Oh, I, I do. And, and one of the things that is enabling sort of the AAA concept is very much the idea that there are technologies. There are technologies that are being used um, that are allowing us to be able to quickly adapt and quickly move and quickly pivot, uh, whether it's demand sensing, whether it's demand-driven MRP. There, there are a number of different technologies and processes that we're, we're able to use now. Thank you. Ashish, what do you think? You like the three A's? Absolutely. I think I, I agree with the, with the three A's. And I think the only thing is the definition of each of the A's. For example, when we talk agility, in my mind, I'm also thinking being nimble. Kind of the same same kind of concept, but a little different. Similarly, on uh, alignment, I think we should mention, I think of it more as an integration. You are not in a silo. You are integrated. And I think that's what alignment means. And if it's so, then absolutely spot on. Thank you very much. Just wanted to make sure we all knew what we were talking about here. Thank you so much. Now it's the time of the show when I've asked my panelists to send me an interesting quote that on its surface has absolutely nothing to do with the topic of the day, which is supply chain, the need for urgent need for agile supply chains. And I have three very interesting quotes here, movies, books, songs, people famous, not so famous, about to be famous. So Jacob Cunningham at PwC has sent us a quote from Socrates. But before you all get ready to say, oh, the Greek philosopher, no. Socrates is a fictional character who was actually a gas station attendant in a book published in the 1980s by Dan. Millman. And uh, the first edition, the book is called Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Very interesting. It's a fictionalized memoir. Fascinating book. Here's the quote Jacob has selected from the fictional Socrates. The secret of change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but building the new. Jacob, certainly words to live by. How in the world did you find this one? And why don't you relate it to our topic, please, Jacob? Yes. Yeah, uh, well, thank you. A, a rather um, interesting and somewhat controversial quote that gets misattributed to uh, Socrates, the Greek philosopher, who, interestingly enough, wrote nothing. It was really those that, that were influenced by Socrates, such as Plato, that did all the writing. Um, so this quote is actually from, as you mentioned, um, a fictional character from a 1980s book. Um, but it's this quote that really captures what many of our clients are going through, which is disruption that is driving change. And for years, companies have faced disruption and from simple supplier delays to part shortages to more extreme delays like rail strikes or natural disasters. But they've always been able to come back to the previous business model. So once that disruption has passed, it's been like, okay, we can go back to the ways that we worked before. But COVID COVID has really driven the supply chain topic to the executive leadership level and really made it front and center because COVID was so sudden and it has driven so many different really permanent market dynamics from toilet paper, which came into high demand, all the way to rental cars, which are just on the opposite side of the spectrum, which is very low demands. So Socrates, the fictional character, (laughs) um, he's really coaching us to recognize that Recognize what happened in the past, but to build new processes, build new IT technologies to adapt to these supply chain disruptions so that we have the agility to withstand really the next disruption. Thank you very much. Very, very well put. And we don't really know what the disruption may or may not be. It might already be here and it's just under uh, overshadowed or outshadowed by COVID. So thank you, Jacob. Very interesting. And we love the quote from the Socrates who actually said something. Good point about the <laughs> philosopher. I didn't know that. And now let's go to Ashish Punjabi. He has sent us a quote that people think came from Frank Ocean. And Frank Ocean, still very much alive and well, born in 1987, American singer, songwriter, record producer, and ph- photographer, recognized for his idiosyncratic musical style interest perspective, and elliptical songwriting. I thought an elliptical was an exercise bike, forgive me. His unconventional production techniques and his wide vocal range. And uh, apparently this is supposed to be from a personal essay by Frank Ocean called Boys Don't Cry, number one. Let me just read the quote, and we're just going to go with the popular misattribution for now, okay, Ashish? So we're going to say, here's a quote by Frank Ocean that everybody says he said. Here, it's, work hard in silence, let your success 
be your noise. Ooh, that's so profound. Ashish, what does this have to do with our topic today? Sure. So, Savani, to start with, right, in all honesty, I haven't read Frank Ocean. I don't know all his work, but uh, I just like this, you know, six, seven letter quote. It just made a lot of sense to me, not just from a professional perspective in general. It's a very generic statement you would apply to anywhere. And why it made sense to me uh, in context of what we are discussing today is because there's a lot of emerging technology we are talking about, a lot of stuff that people are the buzzwords we call them. But they're not buzzwords anymore. They're real things people are working on, experimenting with, whether it's artificial intelligence, machine learning, AR. These are things that are being worked on. But what you see as an output is just, okay, yeah, this is a fantastic algorithm. It did great things for me. What you don't see is how much work, how much effort has gone into building that output that you see. And I, I like it in the sense that almost every company that thinks ahead that is on the cusp of technology, that likes to leverage technology, puts in a lot of effort in the current stage of technology maturity that you don't see that. You only see the output. And this is this kind of phrase brought it out that you can do a lot of work in the background, but let the success of the technology, of that experimentation become your message that this is how it works. And it's very relevant, especially, uh, for example, machine learning-based forecasting. Right? It's something that's brand new. People are still kind of making sense out of it. But there's hours and months and probably in some companies, years of effort gone into it to make it real. That's how I kind of apply the two. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And I'm glad to be introduced to Frank Ocean. Okay, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. Uh, now let's go to Richard House. Richard has sent us a quote from a, a comedian who left us several years ago, actually. He lived from 1921 to 2004. It was Rodney Dangerfield. And I did not know that his birth name, Richard, was Jacob Rodney Cohen. And he went by the name Jack Roy. That's a lot of different names in there. But he chose the stage name Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield, American stand-up known for his self-deprecating one-liner humor. And the quote Richard Howells has selected from Rodney Dangerfield is his iconic, his classic one-liner, I don't get no respect. Richard, you got to help us out here. What in the world does this have to do with supply chains? Go ahead, Richard. Well, I, first of all, I picked it for two reasons. First of all, I bet you've never had a Rodney Dangerfield quote on your, on your radio right. show. You're right. Absolutely right. And secondly, uh, to do a parallel, I think supply chains have been the Rodney Dangerfield of business for, for many years. They've got no respect. Hmm. They've been areas where people are looking to cut costs out of the business, for example. And with the COVID-19 crisis... Supply chains are front and center, sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for not so good reasons, but they're getting the visibility and they're, they're a seat at the table now and getting the respect. So that's why I picked that quote. Thank you very much. You are absolutely right. And I try to keep track, at least in my head. Uh, I've been doing radio for 10 years now professionally, Richard, and about 200 to 250 shows a year. And thousands of panelists and almost everybody has been asked to send a quote. And I do think this is the first time we've had a Rodney Dangerfield quote. So, Richard, thank you for being my quote historian. I appreciate that very much. Now we're going to go to the roundtable portion of the show. And Jacob Cunningham, I'm looking here at your, let me see here. Um, you know what? I'm going to go to your statement number one, Jacob. And I think that's a good place to start because this is where your background strength is. So let me read just a little bit and then you can relate it to supply chain in your own words. So statement number one from Jacob Cunningham at PwC. Integrated business planning, IBP, is the marriage between financial planning and analysis, that's FP&A, and sales and operation planning, S&OP. It can sometimes appear as if finance is from Venus and operations is from Mars. So bringing these two functions together can be achieved. And I'm going to let you finish that line and tell us more expanded, please, Jacob. And then I'm going to ask Ashish Punjabi and Richard Howells to agree or disagree with what you said. So Jacob, you're up first. Go ahead. All right. So yes, uh, we're talking about marriage here in, in the supply chain, but getting the supply chain function to align with finance, um, it, it can be like a marriage. Two different functions two different perspectives, two different views of the data. We've got dollars versus units. But bringing these two functions together into marriage, it really, it starts with people. 
Okay, so we've got sales and operations planning or SNOP really must embrace the fact that it's not only sales and operations that need to be a part of the conversation, but it's also finance. Finance needs to be involved because it, it, finance provides the budget. They provide the financial forecast. And if we plan and, and we're going to miss the financial plan, maybe because of a material shortage or a production constraint or a COVID disruption, Mm -hmm. Um, we would rather know this sooner as opposed to later. So finance can then reflect this in the operational reality in their plans. So the next piece of it is the cadence of SNOP. It needs to be aligned with the financial planning and analysis, or again, sort of the FP&A process. Um, SNOP is is typically a monthly schedule, and it needs to align with the same schedule so that the profit and loss statements, um, they're updated. Okay, So everybody's providing each other with the appropriate information when they need it. Finally, and the last piece of it is from a technology perspective, a technology point of view, the handoff of the plans needs to be very much in sync. So I developed an SNOP process for a chemicals company um, a couple of years ago. In that initial revenue plan, it started in SAP IBP. That's where the, the initial revenue plan was created. And then it was handed off to SAP BPC, or Business Planning and Consolidation, to add in the service revenue bringing together all of these sort of revenue numbers um, helped us finalize the plan. And then that final plan was handed right back to SAP IBP. And so you see that there was sort of a lot of handshakes, so sort of a lot of back and forth there. So again, marriage can be tough, but with good communication, clean handoffs, and a little bit of technology, you know, we could tie the knot and find supply chain and finance bliss here. Ah, bliss. I like that. Okay, let's go around the table. Ashish Punjabi, also at PwC, agree or disagree with Jacob? Go ahead. I, I fully agree with him, actually. In fact, what I would also say is this whole the concept of connecting the two, you know, through a marriage, if you may, of sorts, it's it's a recent phenomena, right? It's it's The need has been there forever, but for, for some reason, more recently, you see more and more companies talking about this marriage, if you may, because they want to have more accurate forecasts, both from a dollar perspective and a unit perspective. But but one thing that I think that has enabled this to be more aggressively taken up is the the maturity of the technology itself. To be able to do it, earlier I remember, again, 15, 20 years back, a lot of this work was done partly in the system, partly offline spreadsheets, and partly, you know, back-end conversations to agree on things. Now, a lot of this stuff is being done using technology. It's faster. It's quicker. And and maybe that's why you see a lot more traction now. And maybe, Jacob, I mean, do you agree with that? The technology has played a big role in yeah. in kind of making it front and center for a lot of, lot of our corporations. Jacob, you want to respond to Ashish, I think? He's asking. Uh, cer- certainly. And, you know, we, we highlighted sort of the, the, um, the IBP system from SAP, uh, BPC, which is the financial planning system. But, you know, really the trick to the, um, the technology is the integration between the two of them and the handoff of the plans. And, and going back to the data, there has to be a common language. Like in a marriage, there has to be a common language between the two different systems to be able to hand the data back and forth. Okay, and let's get Richard Howells in on this. Richard, you knew I was coming to you next, but we had a little a little side trip over back to Jacob. So, Richard, what do you think? Agree or disagree with what either or both said? I agree on the importance of bringing together the financial plans and and the the, the business or the supply chain planning systems because there's no point making recommendations and decisions if you're not making profitable decisions and if they're not in line with the business strategy and business plans. But I also think that the planning system brings together all functions uh, uh, within the business, including finance. And I also see you talked about the financial and units based planning. I also see moving forward, there will also be a carbon cost associated to planning and planning decisions as well, of making the right decision from a sustainability standpoint and having to balance all three of those things. Because our our customers, customers are demanding more sustainable, uh, to do business with others, with sustainable companies. Okay. Jacob, anything you want to say back to either one of them or are you ready for me to move on? No, I I think Richard brings up a good um, point with sort of the sustainability piece of it. And I think that's an area um, that that doesn't get, to your quote, a whole lot of respect, right? Um, I I think that it's certainly 
more and more really over the past three or four years getting a lot more visibility not only out in, in out on Wall Street right because Wall Street wants to know what the ESG or environmental and socially governance um, you know what the footprint looks like of, of different companies um, but supply chain and finance is going to need to start thinking about that and building it into the plans and building it into how they function in the future. Thank you very much, Richard. I think we could rename with Brad Borkin's approval, we could rename this episode supply chain under the COVID-19 lens. I don't get no respect. I think we can do that. that. Brad, that would be a real grabber as far as, yes, as titles of podcasts out in the podcast sphere, podcast universe, pod universe. So now I'm going to move on to a statement from Ashish Punjabi at PwC. And Ashish told me the following, he said, to help cope with supply chain challenges created by the current pandemic, some organizations are creating an integrated hub with the right processes and technologies to enable them to capture and use cross-functional data to provide end-to-end visibility and control of the supply chain. I'm going to stop there because you sent me a lot more information. Ashish, please expand us. Take about two and a half, three minutes. That would be fine. And then we'll see what Richard has to say, and then we'll circle around to Jacob. So Ashish, you're up. Go ahead. Sure, sure. Thanks. So so the essence of what I was saying there is uh, traditionally supply chain, as we have again seen it, 20 years back to you now 15, 10, had been a very siloed organization. You were maturing in your you know, siloed organization. For example, procurement was doing their piece, planning was doing their piece, manufacturing was doing their piece, and so on and so forth. I think what that did was you could have an organization where procurement was more advanced, but manufacturing was lagging behind, depending on the leadership they had been because there was always this mindset of I will run my department and organization. So for us to move from that silo of thinking to a more integrated approach of looking at your business end to end, data becomes the backbone, period. You can only make informed decisions if you have data that you can depend on and rely on. I've had so many conversations with clients where the intent was there, but the execution was missing. So people would actually say, I don't trust the data system is telling me the dates I'm getting, the quantities I'm getting don't make sense because you know what? They didn't own that data. They were fed the data. So how did we fix it? And how did companies start fixing the, at the grassroots level so you could actually make more proactive decisions? That's where this concept of single data layer, a data platform or a hub comes into play where you are ingesting all the data from different sources. Some of it could be in your back in the ERP. Some of it could be in, an, uh, in a database that's sitting outside, maybe logistics information. Some of it could be in your NES system. So you're ingesting all the information. So now you have a single layer of data that everybody feeds off of. There is no more he said, she said. It's all about data is the, the king here. And using that data, now you start setting up rules, setting up procedures and processes so you can make decisions that are proactive in the sense, again, uh, control tower is a concept that's widely being used right now in the market. I mean, some people think of it as a workbench, as a decision tool, as a, as a dashboard. But in a sense, it is a layer that posts the data, uh, presents it in a very, very informative way so you can make sense out of data and then make decisions. Hey, do I need to reprioritize my procurement because this customer order is waiting on a manufacturing order, which is that connection that link in your supply chain now is possible because you have this integrated view of the data and you are making decisions proactively versus reacting to it and always missing deadlines. So that's the essence. And the other aspect of this this integrated data layer is that it helps you with adding more capabilities like, you know, let me add machine learning on top of because now I have data. Let me see what else I can do with it. That part of it is, I would say, is in the maturity phase. It's not mature fully, but the ingesting of data using single layer of data is where most of the companies are moving towards. Very interesting. Let's go around the table. Richard Howells, you're sitting next to Ashish. You didn't even know that because we're here on Zoom. I can see all of you, and I think the order changes depending on whether you stretch your, your screen horizontally or vertically. But, Richard, you're catty corner to Ashish, actually. So you're next. Richard, what do you think? Agree or disagree? Go ahead, Richard. I agree about about end to end visibility being the key. I mean, you you can't you can't manage what you can't measure. If you can't see it, you don't know about it. You need the right information, and we have so much data in supply chains today. As she's talked about from ERP systems, from logistics systems, from MES systems, but we're also getting data from unstructured sources of data. 
sentiment analysis of how customers are feeling in, a, in effect, what they're putting on social media about you or your product or what they're thinking is the next hot thing. And all of that information it needs to come together into one place and into that, that the data uh, repository that Ashish was talking about. And then the important thing is to be able to put it in the business context to make business decisions, whether it's automating business decisions in some cases or whether it's empowering uh, your employees to make better decisions. And it's, it needs to be at a role-based level because we're all using the Assume we're all using the same data. Different people need different slices of that data or different levels of granularity. I may be in charge of a production line. I want very detailed granular information second by second about that production line. Jacob may be the, the, uh, the plant manager, and he may want information across all of the production lines within that plant, as well as other things going on. So he needs it at a higher level. And then Ashish may be the COO and want it at a corporate level. But it's all feeding off that same data. If you can assure yeah. that the data is accurate and timely at that granular level and then be able to extrapolate the information and, and rise it up through the organization, then you're, you're all singing from the same hymn sheet, so to speak, and, uh, and leveraging the same information to make decisions from your job function perspective. Very so I think I agreed. Yeah, would be the very, bottom line of <laughs> interesting <laughs> perspective, Richard. Because we normally talk about breaking down silos, right? And we need to share information. But what you're saying is, people need it at different levels, different intensity, different but, down. To but it's the, still breaking down the silos in that you're sharing yeah. all of the information. Yes, at the so right level of granularity. Need to know at a higher level, at a more broad level, but take what you need, basically. And, and that can go even further across. Mm-hmm. your business network across partners if you've got a contract manufacturer you still need visibility across how they how they're performing or if a supplier is going to be shipping two two days late you need that visibility to make the right decisions at all times thank you very much jacob let's call on you to agree or disagree or react go ahead jacob cunningham well i, I, I certainly think you know what we're talking about is the gold standard right you know th- this is this is sort of the um, sort of the pinnacle of what companies need to be reaching for. Um, and, I, you know, and when we take a step back and, and take a look at what companies are doing um, is there's, there's really, there's no single technology solution that's being used to support all functions. So, you know, whatever technology it may be, there's usually sort of a core ERP and then there's cloud solutions. There, there are sort of bolt-ons that are, that are part of the solution that provide, sort of specific functionality or sort of unique functionality, right? And so what we want to achieve, and again, sort of aiming for this gold standard, um, is to allow companies to seamlessly integrate between all of these. And it's not only within the four walls of the of the organization, as Richard was mentioning, but it's also sort of reaching out in the tier one and the tier two suppliers. Um, you know, a lot of airspace and defense companies are reaching into the tier ones, tier twos. The same thing with automotive companies are reaching out um, beyond their four walls uh, to really get a collaborative, um, to really get a collaborative supply chain um, relationship going. And so, um, you know, and same thing with sort of product lifecycle management tools or or time and reporting tools. There are a lot of different tools. And and so um, that integration and that data harmonization, if you will, um, is really critical as we, take a look at sort of end-to-end supply chains. Thank you very much, Jacob. Appreciate it. And, and we like the way you talked about uh, stretching it out to industries and, and specifically. That's what people want to hear. Thank you very much. Ashish, this is your topic. Anything you want to add before I move on to something from Richard? The, the only thing, again, uh, the, the feedback from Richard and, and Jacob, uh, very valid, right? So the only thing we have to consider is, this is going to be a journey. It's not a switch. You don't turn it on and off, right? We are probably in some places in a crawl stage, maybe some places in a walk stage. Uh, it will take time. I know there's a question towards the end where, you know, what do you see happening in five, five years, 10 years? I think this is something that it's not an option anymore. It's a matter of when you will get there versus if you will get there. It's it's the only way to, to be is to be integrated, to have data visibility at different levels. So you make decisions to help your business proactively than be reactive like you are right now. 
Thank you very much. Good topic around the table. Thank you, Ashish. Richard Howells, you're up next. Richard, I'm looking at your statement number two. I'd like to go Mm -hmm. there. You say, over recent times, companies have tried to strip cost out of the supply chain through lean manufacturing to minimize inventory carrying costs, outsourcing of production to contract manufacturers, offshoring to cheaper parts of the globe. All of these have indeed decreased costs, but also increased the risk of disruptions in the supply chain. That's what we're talking about. Richard, please tell us more. Richard Howells. Well, I think that uh, the the COVID-19 pandemic has really exposed where we have uh, weakened our supply chains. As we've, look, as we've looked to strip costs out, you start manufacturing and sourcing from the lowest cost areas of the world. And, um, and that has then both lengthened the supply chain and made it more complex, but also increased risk. And unfortunately, the companies that really hurt were the ones that are during the pandemic were the ones that were totally reliant on a single supplier from, from say, China or another of the, uh, of the areas of the world that were hit early in the pandemic. And I think what I'm getting at here is that we're really looking at now of a balancing the, the, the cost and the risk from a supply chain perspective. I think companies are going to be much less risk tolerant moving forward because they just can't afford to literally can't afford to or, and figuratively can't afford to be uh, as risk as risk tolerant as in the past. They have to come up with alternate have have plans in place for alternate sourcing strategies have plans in place for positioning inventory at the, and it goes back to the in, original comment from Jacob around planning of being able to position inventory in the right places across the supply chain, whether that's inventory of finished goods, inventory of raw materials, inventory of intermediates. So we talk about inventory optimization a lot and people think that means stripping inventory out of the supply chain. No, it's having the right inventory at the right place at the right time. It may need, mean more of some things and less of others or positioning it somewhere else. The other thing I think uh, we're, we're going to be seeing a lot of is companies rethinking their supply chains in general around the whole concept of offshoring versus nearshoring versus onshoring, because you want to be able to have the ability and the flexibility and the agility, the terms, all those terms that you used in that first statement, mm-hmm. to be able to respond to change, to be able to both predict it or sense it and be and have the ability to respond to it because there's there's nothing more frustrating than knowing there's a problem and not being able to do anything about it. So I think uh, that's all about the can't get no respect type thing. You you need to give it a bit more respect because it's really important. We Supply read, chains are really important. We really need to rename this episode. Supply chains and COVID. I don't get no respect. Jacob, you're sitting one way or another. You're sitting next to Richard on on our virtual roundtable. Jacob, agree or disagree with Richard about lower cost might mean higher risk. What is the risk tolerance, the risk profile of companies that are trying their best to stay in business today? Jacob. Well, I I think I'll straddle the fence on this one and say that I agree with part of it and disagree with part of it. Um, (laughs) Just to to be a little controversial, sort of like my quote, but, you know, specifically in the aerospace and defense um, area, um, one of the things that aerospace companies are really um, sort of struggling with Aerospace. Okay, like if we take a little bit of a step back, aerospace is is quite an interesting area right now um, between some of the big airlines um, that are you know had challenges. One specific airline that had one had challenges before COVID, um, and, and now that that COVID has hit, um, they've even got um, bigger challenges with the uh, the number of passengers on airplanes. But they are really taking a step back to say, how do we evaluate the risk of our suppliers? Okay, especially now that we have ramped down, we're not making as many as many airplanes. And and it's a little bit of an easier conversation when we say, well, supplier A, I can go out. um, There's publicly available information out on the Internet or I can get their financial information um, from publicly um, disclosed documents. Uh, But then what about the smaller sort of mom and pop suppliers that some of these airspace and defense companies deal with? There's no information out there on their financials. There's no information out of the internet about them. They're a lot smaller, um, and that does bring with it a greater level of risk. Um, but what it also does is it begs 
the need for a lot more collaboration too. Okay, so whether it's through a through a software platform or another means, um, there has to be a lot more of a, a collaborative back and forth um, interaction with some of these um, smaller sort of mom and pop where we don't have a whole lot of visibility into their financial strength. Um, to be able to say, well, gosh, we're getting ready to ramp back up our production line here um, here in, in 2021 or, or next year, whatever it may be, to be able to say, are they ready or are they not ready? Are they going to be that that component that stops my production line, or are they going to be right there in line with with our with our um, with our ramp up? So, um, risk is it's a little bit of an easier conversation when there's information available. It's a little bit tougher with some of the smaller um, smaller distributors. Interesting comment. Before I go to Ashish, Richard, you want to make a comment back? No, you're you're right. I mean, there's there's two ways of of addressing the challenge i mean having more information obviously will help but we've still it's 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 more the i was talking more about the um supply chain design side of things and maybe not having multiple strategies uh, sourcing strategies for all of your materials but the critical ones that you know will be the bottleneck if you have a problem so it's a it, again it's balancing which ones you have these strategies for and which ones which ones you choose not to and it's it's all a choice at the end of the day of how much risk you're prepared to, to prepared to take or can can take or have to take it's true interesting ashish please join us which side of that fence are you on should we give the small suppliers yes. a chance even if they don't have that data flow they don't have that granularity that visibility but they might have a damn good part you really really need what's the risk yeah. ashish what do you so think let me- Yes, let, let me start with an example. I think at the end of the example, you'll, you'll know where my stance is. So uh, since the pandemic really hit the US in March of this year, uh, if you guys have gone out shopping for bikes, bicycles, if you may, you'll find there are none available. You go to a Walmart or a Target, unless you go to a specialized bike shop, it's different, but you go to a Walmart or Target or a, a Dick's Sporting Goods where the supply comes from outside the country, again, for the reasons Richard just mentioned, you won't find bikes there. I'm not talking about 50%. You're probably at 5% of the original capacity or, or the supply. And the reason is exactly what Rich said. It is because people did not plan for this pandemic to have such a, such a big impact on the supply. And on top of that, what happened is because of the, the various gyms closed down, proximity issues happened, people started doing a lot of self you know, exercise outdoors. So bikes became more in demand. It was already short in supply and now you have a bigger gap. So for me, this, this risk versus rewards, yes, you were able to sell bikes at a much lower cost and you could have a supply chain that accounted for the long lead times from China, for example. But once pandemic hit, Everything just broke down. Everything broke down. And, and I'll go back to a previous comment Richard made about unstructured data. There have been indications in October, November, December last year about things happening in China. So there was a possibility if people had or these companies had ingested the data and made some bets on what's going to happen, they could have kind of saved some of this loss of business, if you may. So I do think, coming back to the original question, yes, there is a significant an opportunity to look look at the risk and rewards because you've seen it. There is, I would say, millions and millions of dollars of loss in revenue because you just don't have the supply because you're dependent on areas and geographies and on companies that just can't fulfill your demands. So that's that's where I stand on this. Thank you. Interesting, Richard. Anything you want to do to wrap this one up before we go to our crystal ball predictions round? I think. Uh- what she said was perfect for going into the crystal ball predictions because that's what you needed in some cases, but the data is available to make that prediction. Yeah, It's only have, being able to access it and knowing where to get that information and knowing yeah. what to look for. I, nobody would have predicted a global yeah. pandemic. I, everyone did their 2020 predictions and wrote lovely articles about and played, and, and, and played on the 2020 vision pun and everyone got it wrong because nobody predicted a global pandemic. 
That's very, very true. That's right. And I can, uh, Richard, you might have heard me say in some of our, our other SAP shows for years, uh, 2020, that's the earworm in my head from when Barbara Walters was introducing the TV show for years, right? It's 2020. And here we are. And yes. OMG, what happened? Nobody yes. had clear vision once nope. we got started. It hit right away. So let's go around the table now. It's officially crystal ball predictions time. Jacob Cunningham, we'd love to give you just about 60 seconds. What do you think's coming up the road down the pike, whichever way you're driving or flying or walking or biking, as far as the urgent need for agility, alignment, adaptability in supply chains and go out anywhere from the end of 2020. Can't come soon enough, if you ask me, out to <laughs> as far as 2025. Jacob, 60 okay. seconds. Go. All right. Um, so one of the things that, that we've seen um, is a lot of clients have struggled with the materials requirements planning, otherwise known as MRP for years. And one would think that, that a process like this that's been around since the 1970s, it would be refined by now and, and clients would master it through process improvements. But my prediction is MRP is getting ready to go through a transformation and really be overhauled. Okay. And we're starting to see that with some things like demand-driven materials requirements planning, which that's a mouthful, thank goodness for acronyms, which is DDMRP. Um, it, it's a topic of discussion. Plus, we have um, some of the big software vendors like SAP doing some things like MRP Live, where planning runs are, are conducted much more quickly, several times per day. And I, I'm not saying that either one of these are, are the solutions that's going to be the answer to clients MRP challenges, but I am saying that both of these are a step in a new direction for a very classic and sort of traditional planning function. Um, on top of this, we're seeing that AI machine learning becoming more mainstream, which is giving companies more visibility into inventory. Um, again, transforming the role of MRP and how it calculates really those replenishment elements. Thank you very much. Good prediction there. A lot of good keywords in there, Jacob Cunningham. Ashish Punjabi at PwC. I've got 60 seconds with your name on them. What do you see? Go ahead, Ashish. I see. Uh, so I have, there are eight, I would say, essential technologies we, we keep talking about and call them buzzwords, call them, you know, the new fads, but I think they are essential. They, you can't escape them. And those are a couple of them, uh, Jacob already mentioned. Artificial intelligence is, go to, is here to stay. Machine learning is here to stay. There is no way around it. You just need to figure out how to best use it, where to best use it, and when to best use it. Uh, blockchain is also an important technology that I think we need to keep a watch on. Drones are going to play a big part in supply chain going forward. I think it's not just Amazon delivering your end-to-consumer. It could have far-reaching impacts, if you may. Uh, Internet of technology, I think that's kind of come to a maturity level in a lot of areas like manufacturing spaces. But I see tremendous potential on real-time information access using IoTs. That will be big in play. Uh, robotics, I've already seen robotics be very mainstream in a lot of warehouses already. I mean, we used to have conveyors and pick to light, pick to, you know, put to light a long time back. Now it's all AGVs. There are unmanned automated guided vehicles driving all your warehouses. That's huge. And that's, I think it's just the beginning. You'll see a lot more adoption of robotics across the board. And the last one, I believe, which is still in the infancy, I would say in a lot of ways, is the 3D printing. That technology has tremendous potential. Once we figure out the materials and the speed of execution and speed of build, I think it will disrupt supply chain like no other technology, is, is my prediction on 3D printing. So all in all, all the emerging technologies, the eight essentials, and including the virtual reality, is, is where I believe a lot of energy will be put, and you will see a lot of companies playing with one of these eight technologies. Thank you. Very interesting. You went through the whole litany of, of, yes, machine learning is not going away. Yes, AI is not going away. Drones are not going away. Robotics are not going away. And that's yeah. what people are going to need to use. Richard, yeah. I saved 60 seconds for you, Richard Howell. Thank you very much. Go ahead. I, I, I agree with all of the different technologies that Ashish was talking about. I think the one caveat I would say to that, and the, and the slight switch as far as a prediction is concerned, is that companies will be looking to move from proof of concepts with these technologies and really drive value, the proof of value of these technologies. Absolutely. And it all starts with identifying the business problem that you need to solve and then working out which technologies need to come together because they're all there. They just need to work out how they best yeah. come together to solve that problem. 
The other big prediction, and I th- I've mentioned it already, is the whole concept of, I think, sustainability will be a huge focus of businesses moving forward because of demanding customers. Um, Jacob mentioned DDMRP, and that's an example of being customer-centric, being demand-driven. And I always thought I'd retire if we got to four-letter acronyms, and that's a five-letter one, so <laughs> pass my time. Um, but, but, it, but I really think that customers will comp- or companies will want to buy products and insist to buy products that are ethically sourced, that they're, that they're delivered through uh, and manufactured through sustainable and carbon-neutral, if not carbon-positive processes. So I think um, as we move out of the pandemic, which we will, the whole concept of sustainability will be a very high priority moving forward and it'll drive business processes or drive changes in business processes. Thank you very much. Superb predictions, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thank you for being in the sandbox with me here on Think Tank. I want to do a couple of shout outs. Thank you again to Brad Bork and, and Susan Walker at SAP for sponsoring this series. And thank you to Jame. I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name, but it's B-E-E-B-E. I just want to say thank you to Jame at PwC for being here with us in the background. And we appreciate your work getting the panel together. And thank you to Matt Widener at Voice America Business Channel, our engineer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thanks for listening. Join us next time. We're doing a lot of new episodes. This is Think Tank, conversations in a digital world with new perspectives from SAP strategic partners on business, IT, and innovation presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Everybody wave, signing off. Thank you, Jacob Cunningham. Thank you, Ashish Punjabi, both at PwC. And thank you, of course, to Richard Howells at SAP. Bye. Thanks again for tuning into Think Tank conversations in a digital world presented by SAP in collaboration with Microsoft and Intel. Keep the conversation going by tweeting your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAP radio. Please join host Bonnie D Graham again on the business channel next time.